0: Welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an entertainment industry veteran on the podcast to talk about his three decades in television and his signature comedic voice. He is an Emmy nominated host, producer, actor, and writer, and the host of Halloween Baking Championship. It's John Henson. John, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today because um, I was I was a Talk Soup fan back in the day. So excited oh, to
1: <laughs> come on. First of all, you're not nearly old enough. I uh, am. <laughs> second of all, I assume if you were watching Talk Soup, you were some sort of a latchkey kid because <laughs> at whatever age, whatever tender age you would have been watching, somebody should have been supervising you. That show <laughs> should not have been on the airways.
0: Um, yes, I was I was latchkey, but also in high school, I, I believe when you were you were hosting uh, maybe early college. So um, yeah. no, ex- very excited to chat uh, who, for those who aren't Diehard Talk Soup fans, what is the Skunk Boy origin story that still uh, lives on in your, your social media handles? Oh, God. So that was,
1: you know, I was a, an enormous Talk Soup fan before I became the host of it. It was originally uh, hosted by Greg Kinnear, and Greg used to refer to himself as Soup Boy. <laughs> and I started in uh, in January of 1995, and I I was born with a birthmark, a little white streak of uh, hair on the right side of my head. Uh, I've had it since birth. It is much less defined now that I am <laughs> an old Lord of the Rings character, but it was very pronounced when I I started Talk Soup and and just improvised one day. I think in my first week or two on the air. Uh, I refer to myself as Skunk Boy. And man, did that stick with a vengeance.
0: <laughs> and you just got to you got to keep it going, right?
1: I ended up naming my production company Skunk Boy Inc. And yeah, it's an era specific nickname. But occasionally, like I'll be on the street and just hear from a passing car, Skunk Boy, you know what <laughs> I mean? It's really, it's really bizarre. <laughs>
0: I love it. Well, now you are the host of Halloween Baking Championship, the creepiest culinary competition out there. But before you uh, you hosted and produced shows like Wipeout and, as we just mentioned, uh, Talk Soup on E!, can you kind of walk us through your path through into the entertainment industry?
1: I went into uh, into comedy very early on. I, I, I started freshman year of college. I started doing improv, and then sophomore year of college, I discovered stand-up and uh, immediately became obsessed with it. And, um, and I, I actually released myself on my own recognizance from school. Uh, <laughs> I like
0: that, that terminology.
1: <laughs> I left college after my sophomore year to do stand up, you know, maybe seven, eight years later, I ended up getting talk soup and, and moved out to LA in 95. And I've been incredibly fortunate in that. I mean, I'm coming up on few years, it'll be 30 years in television for me. So I've, I've been wow. very, very lucky to uh, to c- continually trick people into hiring me.
0: <laughs> what do you think back to those early days? You, you know, you say you became like kind of obsessed with stand up. What was it about doing stand up that really drew you
1: in? I think it was, you know, stand up is um, performance wise. It's like jumping out of a plane. I mean, you're you know, you're up there by yourself and it, it, it's, it's gladiator school in terms of, uh, of comedy. And, um, at, at the time that I started stand-up was really exploding in, in the country. It was like, you know, comedy clubs were popping up all over the place. And, and, um, I had always been into comedy. I, I, I have four older brothers and, you know, I was the kind of kid who, who grew up watching, uh, Saturday night live obsessively and David Letterman. And so, um, when I started, uh, I I just really had I mean it really genuinely was an obsession. I just felt like I have got to get good at this and I don't care how long it takes or what it costs me like this is all I want to do. And and honestly, I, I think it kind of requires that because mm-hmm. it takes a long time to um, to really get on your feet as a comic and you have to be kind of tunnel visioned about it. My first night in New York City, I went to a comedy club and I there was an older comic sitting at the bar and I said, you got any advice for somebody just starting out? And he said, uh, yeah, if there's anything else you can do, do that. <laughs> and and I was like, I, I, I'm, I, I gave him a very honest answer. I go, I'm not good at anything else. And he goes, all right, well, then don't give up your seat at the bar, meaning don't stop. Just keep mm-hmm. keep doing it. And, um, and I just spent every night in the clubs for years and years and years. And I uh, was very lucky to start Working all the clubs in new york and and that led me to talk soup
0: what was that first time being in New york standing on on stage and doing doing your thing
1: my first night in New York City, I went to the comic strip on the upper west side and I saw adam sandler i saw david spade um, wow. chris rock and and um and you know it was uh, it it felt like i um I had found my people. That ended up that club ended up becoming my home club in mm. in New York. I mean, in, in New York comedians will will understand this, but you and I guess it's the same as true of LA, but you develop like a relationship with one club. That is your mm. club. And you can work all the different clubs, but there's one club that you feel like you're home in. And that was that was the comic strip for me. And God, I spent every night there for probably seven years. You
0: talked a little bit about your, you know, your time growing up with 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 four or the youngest of four brothers. How how much did that like kind of influence your need or desire to kind of be the one entertaining everybody?
1: Well, enormously, because uh, my brothers are seven to 14 years older than me. Like Mm. I was very clearly an accident. Uh, It's like, you know, it's like four kids every year and a half for two years, and then one kid seven years later. Like it was like a, ah, oh, uh, well, okay. Um, And so I could not compete. Physically, I I could not defend myself. Anybody with one or two older brothers knows, I mean, you have four older brothers and it's like growing up on the yard in Pelican Bay. Like there's a lot of physical abuse. And, um, (laughs) And because I was not able to win any matchup, I had to defend myself verbally. And my brothers are all really, really funny. So my sort of baseline for comedy that I was exposed to as a child was uh, a couple of generations older than me. Mm. That was my coping mechanism.
0: Tell me about your time in the intercorpses. Oh, my
1: God. The intercorpses. <laughs> this is deep dive kind of stuff. Did you hire a private investigator?
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I can't reveal my sources. But.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, the intercorpses was a brief foray into a punk rock band that lasted for, I'm going to guess, about 10 days. Um, It was... (laughs) It was my high school years. Uh, my good buddy Matt Davis, <laughs> Eric Gladstone, David Greenberg. We there was a battle of the bands in our high school, and we decided that we were going to ruin it. And um, <laughs> and so we decided to essentially put together this punk rock band performance art piece. And uh, and I, I was uh, <laughs> there was a great. Oh, my God. There's a great photo of us in character, shall we say. It was sort of like Spinal Tap before Spinal Tap. <laughs> but yeah, we did, uh, we did Anarchy in the UK. And I think I remember uh, I, I got my hands on a breakaway bottle Uh, Like a stage model. (laughs) Yeah. And I I was this sort of Sid Vicious lead singer. And um, and at one point I was to break this bottle over the head of Matt Davis, uh, (laughs) our lead guitarist. And I did not realize this, but he was we were moving and sort of, you know, moshing. And, and uh, as a you got to kind of with a breakaway bottle, you got to hit the center of the bottle for it to break <laughs> easily. And I kind of caught him with the bottom of the bottle. And it, okay. was, it did break, but it was hard enough that it it kind of set it open. Oh, no. And so I want to say there was actual blood on his face. I think he destroyed a guitar on stage. Wow. It was pretty intense. And there was a, a guy that we went to school with who was like an incredible drummer and great musician. You know, he him and his band went on. He did like a 10 minute drum solo. They ended up winning. But years later, and I mean, this was like five <laughs> years ago. I heard from that guy on Facebook, and he was like, "Dude, what you guys did was so epic! Hitting him with a bottle, smashing a guitar—you <laughs> totally should have won. It was um, so yeah. That's that's my intercorpses story.
0: Wow. All right, and 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 did, I, I assume you succeeded in ruining the uh, oh a hundred percent.
1: I mean, we you know I, I think we got in trouble because we might have messed up the stage, breaking the guitar. I mean, it was really it was it was um, it, it was a, a wonderful uh, example of my my high school career in that uh, I was drawing negative attention.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, aside from, you know, obviously that career-defining moment, can you kind of reminisce on some of the other moments throughout the last, you know, like you said, almost uh, three decades in the entertainment business that, that really, you know, are special to you?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I try not to take Myself or my career too seriously. <laughs> and I think anybody who knows my career would agree. Um, but, you know, I, I think that kind of like milestone moments, I think, are defined by by other people. There are moments mm-hmm. that are very special to me um, you know, I think uh, booking Talk Soup, a show that I was an enormous fan of and, and moving out to LA and 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 actually, you know, hosting a show that uh, I was obsessed with was a, a really, really thrilling moment. I will say that, like, Talk Soup, we – it was such a unique time in cable TV. When I started that show, E! was such a young network that they – literally did not have the infrastructure to watch over us. Like, nope, they did not have <laughs> the, enough executives to supervise us. So it really genuinely, for people who know the show, was the lunatics running the asylum. I mean, I, I, I was there for four and a half years. I did over 1,100 episodes, and I never once had a note session. Like, nobody, really? no one... <laughs> Ever sat us down and was like, gosh, you gotta tuck it in, man." You get that. <laughs> like we did whatever. They were just happy that we would hand them a videotape and go, "Here, you can air this." You know, it was it talk soup. When I started, aired four times a day. They didn't have wow. programming, so. Um it was a very special time in in my career because it was so deliciously self-indulgent. And <laughs> um and I was so naive being so young. I was in like my mid to late twenties, and you know, I, I didn't know television, and nobody was really teaching me television. So <laughs> all we were trying to do was make ourselves laugh. And mm-hmm. and I think that was kind of the charm of the show. The um, you know, let's put on a show in the barn. My mom made costumes, low (laughs) res, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. We had no money. All we really had was a studio. And so we were just trying to make ourselves laugh. There was a moment my last year on the show where we did a live show in Chicago at the State Theater. That's the theater that Letterman and Leno used when they did live shows. And the, the line to get in started forming at like... I don't know, eight or nine in the morning. Wow. And, and it was January, like, it, you know what <laughs> I mean? In Chicago. <laughs> and and, uh, and I, I walked out on stage at the beginning of the show. We did a big musical number to begin it, and we got a standing ovation. And I just remember looking out at at this, you know, people were in costumes. It was nuts. And I just remember thinking, I just don't think it can ever get better than this. You oh, know? wow. Um, It was pretty neat. But I've been very lucky. I've gotten to do so many really, really cool things. But I think the thing I'm most grateful for is that this is like my only hustle. I mean, I, you know, I left (laughs) college and I've been, you know, in this business for 35 years and, and gotten to do what I want, Um, gotten to gotten to do more than I ever could have dreamed of. So it all feels very special to me. I I really feel. Yeah,
0: no, that's that's pretty incredible. How would you say the entertainment industry has kind of evolved since you first started?
1: Uh, Well, there's 300 channels and (laughs) uh, the Internet. And, you know, I, I always laugh because when I started at Talk Soup. You, you, you had to. I, I was obsessed with learning everything: learning how to write for TV, learning how to produce, uh, learning how to host, and kind of you know uh, ground flooring it up. Learning, learning, kind of every three hundred and sixty degree uh, perspective of how to produce television. And then after I spent decades doing that, uh, suddenly it was like, nope, all you need is an iPhone. You know, and, and there's so YouTube true. and you can have a million and a half followers and you can start when you're 15 and, you know, or be an eight year old with an unboxing channel <laughs> exactly. and make four million a year. And I'm like, oh, great. That's really nice <laughs> that you guys did that after I dedicated decades to learning a dying medium. Um uh. but. Yeah, I think it's I think there's so many opportunities to put your own content out now. Mm -hmm. That's that's the coolest part.
0: I agree. I I always feel so old when like, you know, you know, up and comer like reporters in the business are like, can I, you know, can we talk like advice? And I'm like, I don't even know what to tell you. Like I was like carrying around my own equipment and tripods and like giant cameras, you know, back in the day, like everybody has it so easy. Yeah. It's like,
1: it's like a, it's like a modern digital photographer asking one of those old West photographers that had to get under a cape and hold (laughs) up one of those fly poof with a big old, you know, puff of smoke to take a photo. Yeah, Um, exactly. uh, I mean, I, you know, um, I I think the evolution of the business and and the ability to create really anything you want to not have it be such a linear process where you can go direct to an audience and and create um, your own stuff and bypass the whole kind of studio or network system is uh, is is creating like exponentially more content.
0: John tells us all about hosting Halloween baking championship when we come back. Whether it's you know a, a show or, or a genre, what what is your approach to hosting in general, and and what is your responsibility that you feel like you need to bring to the process? Oh wow,
1: um, interesting question. I, I I mean I I think it's just spontaneity, right? Like uh, uh, the. The most useful tool, I think, as a host is listening. Um, You know, I've always said the hardest thing to do, I, I think, honestly, the hardest thing to do in television is be yourself on camera. And um and and obviously the things that I do, it's a, when I say myself, it's a heightened sense of myself, right? I mean, I'm it's always a bit of a character, but but to to be present and to be able, you know, you can tell when when somebody is interviewing somebody and they're asking a question, and then instead of listening to the answer, they're thinking of their next question,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and and so um uh you know. Being able to to listen and and kind of certainly in, in Halloween Baking Championship, it's 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 kind of matching the energy and the mood and the and the tone of the situation you're in and whoever you're talking to. That show is obviously very silly and funny, but people work so hard on that show and they get very invested. And as you get later and later into the season, um eliminations are very emotional. Mm -hmm. People, you know, people sometimes cry. And so you you have to be present enough to honor whatever is happening in that moment and match that energy. And, and obviously you want to be, you want to connect with people. You want, you want to make contestants feel comfortable, feel like they can talk to you, feel like they can open up to you because that's really what the audience wants to see. They want to see who someone genuinely is
0: yeah i mean I think that's why you are so perfect for this show i mean do you do you have like preparation that you do for each episode and and what you're going to say or is it kind of more off the cuff
1: <laughs> i um, my uh I have absolutely no preparation <laughs> i i i have uh you know a lot of the the sort of benefits of of having hosted a lot of television is i don't have to Think about the mechanics of hosting as much as I did when I started, you know, where the camera is and how to pace things and, and transition from scripted copies, setting up a challenge or something or going over the rules and then transitioning into improv, that kind of stuff you get used to after repetition, Um, I just want to be in the moment. So Mm -hmm. there isn't I don't have to bring a lot to it. What I need to do is be in the right frame of mind where I'm 100% focused on what's doing. what's happening rather in that moment. And um, and just try to try to be present there's a lot of improv on that show there's Mm -hmm. a lot of just responding to what's happening and and that's one of my favorite parts of it is it just kind of allows me to freelance
0: yeah allows you to do your thing and and do the thing that they obviously hired you for you know um and the theme this year is hotel henson feels very bates motel uh what was it like to have your own theme for a whole season
1: I got to tell you, um, I'm really hoping they turn over the property. I feel like (laughs) at this point, it's a unique fixer-upper opportunity. And there's a lot of money to be made in real estate. (laughs) The last couple of seasons, we've had these big, huge themes, these ecosystems, these world-building ideas behind the entire system, and uh, season rather. And it gives... It gives you a lot of uh, grist for the mill in terms of of finding the humor, because it gives you something to plug into a viewpoint or or uh, sort of a structure. Uh, And so that's been really fun. We did uh, we did. Uh, Camp Devil's Food Lake uh, and then this year it's Hotel Henson um, and so I, I've had a I've had a lot of fun the last couple of seasons just kind of plugging into all right this is the world we're working in what does that give me so yeah they uh, they do a fantastic job of planning these seasons
0: yeah what is it like to to see the set kind of come together and come to life and um, because obviously I'm sure there's so many people working on these things behind the scenes
1: well, that's kind of the fun part of it is is what by the time I show up, all that's done. So I just walk <laughs> Surprise. in and it's like, bam, you know, they everything is they put so much thought into everything that uh, over the course of the entire season, I will be discovering new little nuance details about the set or things that you don't notice. You'll look and realize something has writing that you didn't notice right away. And oh, wow, they put thought into that. It is kind of like, it's the unveil. It's the move that bus moment of just like walking, (laughs) walking in and being like, wow, they created a hotel. And so it is uh, each season is like I get to discover it new.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, the challenges are equally, you know, unique and creative and a lot lot of thought goes into them clearly. Do you have any insight into how those challenges are developed or what that process is like? Or are you also just showing up and, and being surprised
1: every time? I'm literally learning the challenges as they're coming out of my mouth. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I I, just they have a team of really talent. The, the culinary staff, the producers, the writers, the whole team of executives, they've got it down to a, a finely oiled machine and they are they're really thoughtful about it. And so I'm oftentimes learning it, you know, day of, if not in the moment. I mean, you know, I'll walk out and they'll go, "Okay, here's the challenge you're setting up. And then 15 seconds later, I'm reading it to the contestants. So, yeah, it is uh, oftentimes put it this way. If I look just as surprised as (laughs) the contestants, that's not acting. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, it kind of adds to the charm of it. You know, you are exploring and, and finding out at the same time as the contestants and, you know, at home as the same time as the viewers as well. Do you notice a difference between contestants who are classically trained versus those that are
1: self-taught? Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, every season we've got some amount of home bakers, self-taught people. And then, you know, there's sort of pros and cons, right? I think obviously people with more classical training have uh, a, maybe a broader skill set, but that doesn't always translate to taking that classical skill set and translating it into something super creative for this particular show. So it's interesting. I mean, the home bakers, I think tend to try to tailor things to their wheelhouse. Everybody has their, you know, their fastball uh, desserts or dishes that they make and they, they they're very comfortable with. Um, but you know, uh, I think there's pros and cons because classically trained bakers can sometimes think inside the box Mm. and and home bakers maybe are more used to thinking outside the box.
0: Yeah, more, more likely to maybe take some risks or that kind of thing. Speaking of which, I mean, what's the what's the number one mistake that you see on the show?
1: Time management. I mean, that's really the hardest thing in any of these competitions is time management. Because, I, look, I, I love to cook. I always say there's there's nothing harder than what I call an away game. You know, when you're cooking <laughs> in somebody else's kitchen and you have to turn around and go, wait, where are the whisks? You know. So for these guys, you know, they they're in a space where. They're learning the ovens, they're figuring out where everything is, and they're also having to design on the fly. And sometimes it's easy on the show to bite off more than you can chew, than to think that everything is going to go perfectly and you're going to have the time to do X, Y, and Z. Um, And it comes down to can you stay on schedule so that you're not rushing what ends up being the most visually impactful, which is, of course, decorating. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think another fun part about the show, speaking of visual, is just the costumes for the judges. And I'm curious, like, oh my how God. you keep a straight face when, you know, Carla Hall, Stephanie Boswell, Zach young, you know, emerge in these costumes, elaborate costumes for judging a tasting.
1: It really I mean, these guys, the whole hair and makeup team, they wardrobe, they they deserve an Emmy. What what those guys are able to pull off week to week is so incredible. I will say last year, Stephanie did basically a costume inspired by the movie It. She she came out in sort of a Pennywise uh-huh. vibe. <laughs> And that, that was hard to take. Um, That was, that that one, that one got right inside my brain. And I I, I just remember going, no, 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 no. It really is a a bit of a reveal. Those guys will spend three or four hours in hair and makeup and they're doing prosthetics. They are, um, you know, they're, They have to go through it. Uh, That's a long time to sit in a chair with people messing with your face and your hair. And then, of course, at the end of the day, they got to take it all off. Um, But (laughs) I mean, it never fails to blow me away so i mean there's just so many classic ones zach was bob ross this year
0: uh, you know
1: stephanie was pizza rat uh
0: i saw that was so good
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean carla and stephanie did the, well all three of them they did the. they basically did the triplets version of the twins from the shining uh <laughs> you know watching zach come out <laughs> In the little blue dress with Stephanie and Carlos. Just so fantastic. It's my favorite part of the show, is really is introducing them when they come out for judging and their and their costumes.
0: No, it's it's incredible. Like you said, the the hair, makeup, wardrobe department for that show, especially um is just mind-blowing what they can accomplish. And curious who you sent your therapy bill to, to Stephanie or to Food Network after the Pennywise costume.
1: I'm telling you, that was uh <laughs> (laughs) That was that was like, all right, well, you know, so much for sleep. Uh, I don't I don't don't think I'm going to be sleeping well tonight. Um, No, it was it was fantastic. Uh, And they're transformative. I mean, these guys really disappear into these costumes and to go from something like, you know, Stephanie as Elvira to uh, her as Bigfoot, you know, I mean, you just it's it it really is incredible to watch.
0: If you could choose a costume, what would it be?
1: I would probably go with that's a good question. I might go as the uh, president of Food Network and just come out and pick the show up for another 15 years. (laughs) If I could just see if I could pull it off and people go, I don't know, they said it. I guess we're doing that. I guess we just (laughs) give them. Lifelong contracts now. It's like a Supreme Court justice job. You just you keep go. it till you die. You know?
0: <laughs> I love it. I think I think that's a good plan. Uh, you might want to you know pull that one out for next year. Yeah. No, this has been so much fun. And we so appreciate you taking the time. We're going to finish things off with some rapid fire questions. And then we have one final question for you here on Food Network
1: Obsessed. Excellent.
0: All right. So favorite Halloween candy
1: who snickers king of candy bars come on man we do not need to reinvent the wheel and i think it begins and ends there and if you're one of those people who gives out a full-size snickers god likes you
0: i was just gonna ask full-size or, or or fun size you know
1: <laughs> but yeah you have no, my, you have my go, answer I mean, there <laughs> yeah go full-size man yeah.
0: oh man those houses were the best uh, uh, dessert of choice
1: Ooh, uh, I'm going to first blush. I'll say butterscotch budino.
0: Oh, okay. One word to describe your comedic approach.
1: Unplanned.
0: (laughs) As we've learned. (laughs) Uh, what, what do you do during downtime on set?
1: I harass the judges. Um, we are really, honestly, the the four of us are so close. We consistently refer to our season as summer camp because we are so close. We stay in touch throughout the year, and we hang out whenever we can. So to have a few weeks together to work together, we. We enjoy each other so much that we work together all day and then we go out to dinner every night. Oh, I love that. So, so yeah, if I am not just laying around lazily in my dressing room, I don't get as much downtime as they do. And I have a problem
0: with that. I, they,
1: you know, they get a lot of time backstage. I I get like a lot of like, OK, you've got four and a half minutes, you know. And um, but yeah, uh, I would say, uh, you know, creeping into the hair and makeup room to see what kind of horrors they're putting together for later on in the show.
0: Yeah. Hair and makeup room is always the best place to hang out for sure. It's where it all goes out. It is.
1: It is literally the the kitchen of the party you know how mm-hmm. every party ends up in the kitchen yeah on set every party ends up in hair and makeup yes
0: also i i used to say that was also my therapy session for the day as well oh
1: a hundred percent every time i get out of jackie's chair it's like i'm expecting her to go okay let's pick up here on tuesday i think we got some good <laughs> stuff done together and i want to get back into that dream yeah when you uh when you return i love jackie she's the best
0: uh all right last rapid fire favorite scary movie
1: Ooh, I'm gonna go with what I feel like was the most scarring for okay. me. Um, uh, I my my older brother uh, took me to a revival of The Exorcist oh. when I was like. I want to say eight or nine. Oh, yeah. That's too uh, I'm going to just be honest <laughs> with you. That's the kind of thing the state takes kids away for now. <laughs> like that's child protective services kind of territory. And uh, I was a little kid. And in the the classic scene where Reagan's head turns around, someone in the audience started choking Oh. on whatever they were eating. Oh, and it was one of those full on like stop the movie, lights come up, Heimlich <laughs> maneuver kind of thing. And the person ended up being fine. But it was such a moment of like, I just remember being like, I want to go home now. <laughs> I just really want to go home. Uh, and I I do not know if I slept for the rest of the summer. I Probably mean, that not. movie made an impression on <laughs>
0: oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, all right. Our final question. Uh, this is the question we ask everybody at the end of our interviews here on Food Network Obsessed. And that is, what would be on the menu for your perfect food day so breakfast lunch dinner and dessert we want to hear what you're eating for all of those things there's no rules so no no calories count time travel as much money as you want to spend. Um, okay. It's your day.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, I, my, both of my parents are, uh, uh, were, are from the South. Both my parents uh, were born in Arkansas. Mm. Um, so even though I grew up uh, in the Northeast, I, I feel like I was raised Southern. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go with the kind of, you know, angioplasty breakfast that I grew up with, like the full on <laughs> like eggs and bacon and mm. sausage and grits and hash browns. Biscuits. and. Buttered toast. Yeah. B- biscuits. Yeah. 100% biscuits. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Carla Hall's biscuits, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, she's, and believe me, that woman is very serious about her biscuits. So, <laughs> lunch, I'm going to say, uh, Pizza in the Piazza in Capri, Italy, uh, right at the top of the Funiculare. There's a little pizza restaurant and, wow. um, and the view is incredible. You're overlooking the Marina Grande uh, and it is um, about 100 yards away from a gelato stand. Ooh, perfect. Where you can smell <laughs> the homemade cones, you know, mm-hmm. and you just sort of take this cobblestone street, walk down the hill, just following your nose like Scooby Doo. That would be my lunch.
0: I'm putting that on the bookmark. That for my next
1: trip to Italy. (laughs) Yo, it's just so good. And then dinner, you know what? I will say uh, for dinner, I will say my um, my 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 baby is a better chef than any restaurant that I would be able to imagine going to. So I'm going to say making dinner at home.
0: Okay. And w- yeah. anything in particular, or just anything?
1: Uh, that's uh, you know the 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 beauty of dating a uh, a great chef is that you uh, you don't need to ask. It's All true. you need to know <laughs> is what time to be there. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I uh, I love uh, I love cooking. I love being a part of uh, making a meal, and it's a you know it's a very cooking for somebody is a very nurturing, intimate thing. You know, I think I honestly, I think making someone laugh and feeding someone are two of the kindest, most nurturing things you can do for somebody else. So, yeah, making dinner together in the kitchen, laughing, listening to music. That sounds perfect to me.
0: Uh, I could not agree more. Um, That sounds uh, wonderful and and exactly what I would like to do as well. So, Thank you so much for taking the time. And again, we are looking forward to uh, the rest of the season and especially that finale on uh, on Halloween
1: yeah i am very excited about it this was a really fun cast um we get very attached to our casts and they're they are their own ecosystem on social media they have a whole (laughs) whole kind of thing going on on instagram and uh you know we're still in communication so uh a lot of twists and turns this season i I think you guys are going to like it looking forward to it thanks so much
0: I absolutely love Halloween Baking Championship this time of year, and you can catch all of John's hosting shenanigans on Food Network Mondays at 9, 8 Central. And don't miss the finale on October 31st. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.